If you have your Bible, uh, please take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be here for the last time this morning. Uh, We've been a long time now in this series on Hebrews 11, what we've been calling the family photo album of God's people. And today we're going to, like we said earlier, talk about Elijah. Even though he's not listed by name in the chapter, uh, it lists the prophets. And he was one of the great prophets. And of course, as we read, you're going to hear some echoes of the story earlier uh, here in Hebrews 11. And we're going to read a little bit of the beginning of 12 as well. Please hear God's word again. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen? This is God's word. Uh, Like I said, Elijah is not listed, but Elijah is everywhere in what we just read. Uh, He he is listed in the sense that it says the prophets, uh, way back up there in verse 32, if you have your Bible, you'll see it. Uh, What more shall we say? I do not have the time to tell you about the prophets. And yet, in what we read this morning, he goes on to describe someone wandering around in sheepskins and goatskins. That was Elijah. He actually wore that stuff, if you know his story. Uh, He lived in desert, deserted places. We saw that in the story today. Even in caves and holes in the ground. We saw that today. And yet, the world, it says, was not worthy of them. And didn't we see that with Elijah? Uh, Ahab and Jezebel did not know what power they were confronting when they confronted Elijah. In fact, we learn a very important lesson from Elijah's story that all of us need to learn. And it's this. If you're going to be a believer in God and believer in Jesus, you are going to be a stranger in the world. Let me say that again. If you're going to be a believer in Jesus Christ and try to follow Jesus in your life, you are going to be a stranger in the world and you're going to be treated as such. And that's not very comfortable. Uh, sometimes being a stranger can be funny. I mean, I don't know if you remember the, the show Perfect Strangers that used to be on TV. Remember that show from the 80s and 90s? If nobody remembers it, I'll stop right now. But uh, basically, I remember it for some reason. I used to watch it when I was a kid from time to time. But a man in Chicago discovers he has a long-lost cousin from Eastern Europe whose name is Balky or Belky. And uh, he comes over to the United States to live with him. And all the time, every single episode, it was a sitcom. Every single episode was about the, the strangeness of being in a foreign country and how funny it could be. But we see from Elijah, it's not just funny to be a stranger, is it? 
Sometimes, you know this from personal experience maybe, sometimes it's painful, heartbreaking to feel out of place. And yet, what did Jesus tell his disciples? He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. Right? And so look at your bulletin. We're going to see three things today about being strangers in the world as Christians. First of all, we're going to see why true believers are always strangers in the world. Why does it work that way? Secondly, we're going to see what makes being a stranger in the world actually a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's good, even though it could be painful. And then thirdly, how can we have the strength to endure as strangers in the world? Because it's easy to give up on something like that. All right, so why are we strangers? What makes it a good thing? And how can we endure as strangers in the world? First of all, why? Why are we strangers? I realize you may be here, or you may be watching in, and you might not even consider yourself a believer. And so you're like, I don't know if I need to listen to this because I don't know if I even want to believe in Jesus and become a stranger in the world. Well, you at least need to understand what it is that Jesus offers to us honestly. You got to at least understand that. Uh, sometimes we imagine that the call of Jesus is, hey, invite me into your life and I will make sure your life is a better life in every way. You're going to immediately get the things that you want. You're going to immediately get comfort and ease and all those things. We, we think that sometimes, don't we? That Jesus is supposed to be the, the quick fixer that swoops into our lives and, you know, and waves the magic gospel wand and everything just becomes better. That is not actually what Jesus came into the world to offer. In fact, the reason why every believer in him has always been a stranger is that to become a believer in him is to switch sides in the great conflict that tears this world apart. That's what Jesus taught. He came, for example, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. What does repent mean? It means to do this. Completely turn around the other way. Switch sides. He says, switch sides. Why? Why should we switch sides, Jesus? Because the kingdom of God is here. In other words, the kingdom of God has reinvaded the world that he made because that world had been hijacked by an enemy kingdom. That's the whole basis of the Bible story. Human beings are made to be like God's army in the world. Showing his glory to creation. Uh, taking out of creation the untapped potentials that are there and to offer them back up to God like priests. That's what we're made to be. Priests before the Lord. And yet, from our first parents, it didn't take very long. The very first human beings decided to start a new kingdom. A kingdom of their own that fought against God. And from that moment, there was what the Bible calls enmity. There was enmity. There was a war between God and the world. To be a Christian, Jesus says... It's to repent, to turn around, to switch sides, to quit fighting God, to lay your weapons down and to join God. Well, if that's true, guess what? You're still going to have an enemy. It's just not going to be God anymore, which is a good thing, right? Let's just stop and pause and say it's a great thing to not have God as your enemy. And that's actually what Jesus offers you. He offers you that God would be your enemy no more, that he would be your friend, that he would be your father, that you would enter into a covenant commitment relationship with him that's a great thing but you don't go enemy less when you do that it's just now where the world used to be with you because you were against God with it now the world is against you because you're with God against it 
Does that make sense? We will experience the bitterness, the pain, the loneliness sometimes like Elijah faced. Look at Elijah's story. In 1 Kings chapter 19, it's printed for you in the bulletin. We read it earlier. Uh, The king and queen of Israel threaten Elijah's life. And that's after a long time that Elijah struggled with being persecuted and mistreated because of his job as a prophet. He got so discouraged, it says, Elijah began to walk into the desert. I mean, and this is an amazing thing, actually. If you know the storyline of the Bible, God had picked out his people from slavery and brought them through the desert for 40 years into the promised land. And here God's prophet is driven out of the promised land back into the desert. And actually the same desert that they wandered in for 40 years, Elijah wanders for 40 days and 40 nights in that same desert. And he goes all the way to that same mountain, Mount Horeb, where God met Israel through Moses and gave the Ten Commandments. Where God put Moses in the cleft of the rock and covered his face and passed before him so that Moses saw his back. That was the same cave, or or at least a cave on the same mountain, that God told Elijah, stand in in the door of the cave and I will show you, I will display my glory just like I did to Moses. In other words, things for Elijah are going in reverse The goal of Israel was to come into the promised land, get settled, and show the the goodness of God to the world. And yet what had happened? The goodness of God had been rejected. And now one of God's people was being driven back into that wilderness state. He wanted to die, he said. Well, no wonder. I mean, he walked for 40 days through the desert. (laughs) I mean, no wonder he wanted to die. Uh, It takes a long time. It's a long way. Over 250 miles from Beersheba to Mount Horeb. And it's some of the most, we could say, God-forsaken, you know, as a manner of speaking, uh, geography in the world. Uh, you know, I've seen some of this part of the world, and it's, it looks like the moon. There's just nothing out there. And he, he finds the one broom bush that he can find, and he lays under it, and he just says, kill me, God. Do you see what's going on? Elijah is facing some of the same things that Jesus himself faced, and what Jesus promised, if we're with him, we also will face. The opposition of the world won't be funny like it was on Perfect Strangers. Instead, it will be filled with pain, bitterness, and even exhaustion sometimes. Uh, The the chapter before, Elijah had squared off with the prophets of Baal and delivered him a knockout punch. And that was one of Elijah's biggest days. And yet, isn't it true that often on the heels of spiritual high comes spiritual low? Often on the heels of victory comes spiritual depression this is where Elijah was driven out to show the world forever that if you're going to be with me God says you're going to have to make a choice are you with Ahab and Jezebel and what they represent which unfortunately was the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of rebellion or are you going to switch sides repent and join my side Uh, just like during World War II right I mean there were really only two sides. There were two belligerents in that war, the Allies and the Axis powers. And some people tried to be neutral. I mean, even America tried to be neutral right up towards the end until the fight came to us. At that point, we knew it. You couldn't just say, oh, I'm going to pick a third side. You know, I'm going I'm to create a third front in the war. You're not going to do that. You're going to pick one side or the other. In fact, even the countries that tried to stay neutral, in a way, to stay neutral was to pick a side. Right? We, we all kind of recognize that about the great conflicts of the world. 
or underneath all the conflicts lies a greater conflict. You can't see it on a map. The weapons can't be bought with money. Uh, the generals of the armies can't be seen with our eyes. And yet, the, nevertheless, that conflict is just as real, if not more real. And Jesus comes to us and he says, I want to give you a new life. But here's what that new life looks like. If anyone desires to live with me, they will be persecuted. Because you've joined an army. Do we recognize that? I think a lot of times we try to stay neutral. We do as Christians, don't we? In this war. We try to stay neutral. And we do that either by ignoring there's a battle altogether and saying, you know, life with Jesus is just, you know, every day is a Friday. <laughs> it's this party that we're supposed to have. Or... We try to have one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. As if Elijah had tried to appease Jezebel. Rather than opposing her and running the opposite direction of Jezebel. We try to appease God and appease Jezebel at the same time. And that will never work. In fact, instead of having a conflict with the world, that's just going to give you a conflict within. It's going to tear your heart apart. It's going to tear your spiritual life apart. It's going to... Make you feel very, very distant from God. You've got to choose a side. You've got you to lay down your stakes and draw the line. And so the question this morning that Jesus confronts us with is have you laid your weapons down and have you finally agreed with God that he's right and you're wrong? <laughs> and his side of the battle is justified and the other side is unjustified? Have you picked up new weapons uh, weapons that aren't of sin or of or physical nature, but weapons that are of spiritual power. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to dress you in the full armor of God, as it says in Scripture? That's what it means to be a Christian. Onward, Christian soldiers. Right? That's an old song, if you don't know. Onward, Christian soldiers. Fighting on to war. Going on to war. With Jesus going before. <laughs> if the world hates you, Jesus said. Just keep in mind, it hated me first. Cheer up. It, ha it hated me first. That's the first thing. Why believers are always strangers in the world. But what makes that a good thing? Because as, as we think about that, and even as we look at Elijah's story, the prophets, I mean, it seems like their life was terrible in a way. I mean, after all, he wants to die. He begs God to kill him. Uh, Jeremiah, another prophet, was known as the weeping prophet. He, he couldn't stop crying. Because his life was so painful. And we think, well, man, Jesus, I don't really want to sign up for that. Until you consider this fact. Elijah, although he was in dire straits when he ran away from Jezebel into the desert. When you read the story, isn't it clear? Even though in dire straits, Elijah's position is millions of times better than that of Jezebel and Ahab. Isn't that right? Did you hear what I said? Even though Elijah was in the desert and they were in the palace, even though they were eating fine food and Elijah was eating nothing, the angel had to come feed him bread and water. That was it, just bread and water. Now you would think if an angel came and fed you, it'd be more than that. But it was just bread and water to show that though Elijah had nothing in this world, yet he had everything with God. And so Elijah's position, this nearness that he had to God, this commitment to the truth, that was a way better position even though he was facing his own death and even greeted it. And that's always true for us. 
The reason why it's a good thing to be a stranger in the world is because this world, though created by our Father, is not ultimately our home. This world, although created good, has been corrupted, and we want to be separate from the corruption. This world, although it will be one day renewed, is not yet completely renewed. And so we have to learn to live as what the Bible calls sojourners. People that are just passing through. Gypsies, if you will, in the world. Not, not setting down our stakes for good, but recognizing that our home is somewhere far away, somewhere with God. Uh, Hebrews 11 tells us the same thing earlier in the, in the chapter. You might remember this. When it was describing Abraham, it says he was willing to be a sojourner because he had his eyes on a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. He knew that here he had no lasting city. His city was the, the city to come. So he endured hardship here because he knew what he had there. He had it not just in the future, but he had it in the present. He had a taste of God's city in the present because God walked with him, talked with him, communed with him, gave him his promises, forgave him his sins, blessed him, you know, kept his promises, blessed him with a child that was to be the child of promise. Abraham had all that. Same thing with Elijah. Elijah comes, and, and we clearly see in the story, the world is not worthy of this man, Elijah. Because here, he, he's fed by the angels. He's greeted by God. He's, God asks him twice, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? I don't think that was God rebuking Elijah, you know, saying, like, what are you doing here? How dare you be here? I don't think that was God's point. I think it was rather an invitation. Elijah, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's on your heart. Do you see the nearness that Elijah had with God? That God would ask Elijah to describe what he was going through and why and what God might be able to do about it? Isn't that amazing? Elijah had more than the king or queen. And if you're a Christian, no matter what little you have in this world, you've got more than the kings and queens of this earth. You got more than the richest people. You got more than Bill Gates. I guarantee you that. Because God gives the blessing of his truth and his nearness to every single one of his people. Even when, listen to this, even when it's not what we think we really need. And I think that's the real point of what God does with Elijah. I mean, God does something very unusual. He doesn't just give him strength, but he gives him perspective. He gives him perspective. He tells Elijah to go to the mouth of the cave. And in Elijah's mind, he's remembering Moses because Moses was here. And Moses also got to stand in the cleft of the rock, the cave. And God covered his eyes and passed before him. And Moses saw fire on the mountain. Remember that? And, and, and uh, you know, a cloud came down. And the mountain shook. And trumpets started sounding from out of nowhere. And Moses saw the bang power of God, right? And Elijah was expecting that God was going to bang again. To, to show him the, the, the almighty power that triumphs even over kings and queens. And yet, what happens? First, the wind. And what does it say? That wasn't how God showed up. God wasn't in the wind. Uh, then an earthquake. It shook the mountain just like it did with Moses. But this time, God wasn't in the earthquake. That wasn't how God wanted to show himself to Elijah. Then there was a fire on the mountain. Again, Moses saw that too. This time, God was not in the fire. And then there was another one, wasn't there? Can't remember. I'm blanking. There was another thing, a big thing, amazing thing that, that God was not in. And then finally, after it all, what came? A gentle whisper. 
The, old, the uh, King James Version says a still, small voice. A still, small voice. And it was there that God revealed himself truly to Elijah. As if to say, Elijah, not by might, nor by power, does my kingdom come into this world, but by my spirit, by my word. My word is so powerful, Elijah, it moves nations even when I whisper it. I don't have to yell. God doesn't have to yell. Think about how, why we yell. Why do you yell? Because you're afraid of not being heard, right? <laughs> we yell at our kids because they're not listening. So we raise our voice and we try to get heard. You're going you're gonna to hear me. That's what we do because we're, we're limited. We're weak people. Do you think God has to yell? His word never fails. His word's powerful no matter who accepts it and who does not. God can whisper it into this world. And his plan is wonderful, and his wisdom is marvelous, and he's going to bring about what he had planned from all eternity through his word, even though you can barely hear it. Elijah was learning a lesson. Elijah, no matter how little you have to show for your commitment to me in this life, even if you don't have wealth, even if you don't have flash and glamour, even if you don't have you know, great displays of power and strength, if you just have the whisper of my voice, you have everything you need. Do you know that sometimes when you go to the doctor, you think one thing's wrong, and then you find out something else is wrong? Maybe something else's are wrong? <laughs> And you came in to have something simple fixed and it's something major. Or maybe you take your car in to get it repaired and you think it's just simple. And it's big. It's the whole transmission or whatever that needs to be replaced. That sinking feeling that you have when you realize it's going to be a lot more money, a lot more time, a lot more pain than we ever thought. I think Elijah had that experience on the mountain. He thought he just needed God to come in and smite Ahab and Jezebel. That's what he thought he needed. Just for God to overcome the king and queen. But in reality, what Elijah needed to know is that he could continue to cling to God and be a stranger in the world because God was giving him something far greater than the world could ever offer him. Isn't that right? And so for us today, let me, let me just break down a couple of things real quick that we have to have in our hearts if we're going to be strangers in the world with God. Just like Elijah, we have to value truth over approval. Right? You've got to value truth, God's truth, over just the approval of people. Those things sometimes go against each other. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, sometimes to say the truth, to stand for the truth, to even believe the truth in your heart is to face the disapproval of people around you. People in the world, people you don't even know, but sometimes it's even more painful when it's people that you know and that are very close to you. Maybe even a spouse or a parent or a child who opposes you or disapproves of you because of what you believe based on God's truth. And yet, what Elijah tells us, what God tells us through Elijah, is keep on clinging to God's truth, even in spite of the disapproval. Because if you make the other bargain, which is the bargain that Jezebel had made, to go for approval over truth, you're going to end up with neither. Right? You're going to end up with neither truth nor approval. Let me illustrate by some current events that are happening in our society our society for a long time i think has chosen approval over truth right we lost the truth 
we lost our handle on how to even figure out what the truth is, basically. That truth is just sort of what everybody wants it to be. My truth, your truth, their truth, their truth, right? In the process, we're also finding that we're losing one another's approval in the process. What we originally set out to get, we can no longer get. Instead, it's just my truth against your truth, your truth against my truth, and our truth against their truth. No one approves of anybody else except in tiny little micro groups. Because when you take the bargain of temporary over eternal, you'll lose both the temporary and the eternal. You'll never be able to keep either one of them. But, as Elijah shows us, if you choose the eternal, God's truth, over the temporary, the world's approval, you're going to lose the world's approval sometimes, but you're going to lose that anyway. You're going to lose that anyway, no matter what you do. But what you're going to keep is a handle on the truth, a foundation for your life that won't be shaken. Isn't that amazing? Well, we also have to do this. We have to value the ne- a nearness to God over temporary wealth and success. Nearness to God. That was what God was teaching Elijah. Elijah, you don't need my earthquake. You don't need my fire. You don't need my storm. You just need my voice. You need me to ask you, Elijah, what are you doing here? So that you have the opportunity to open up your heart and to express yourself in prayer to me and so that you have the opportunity to hear the word of my reassurance in the deepest parts of who you are. Nearness to God over temporary wealth. And yet, what do we often do? We choose the temporary again over the eternal. When it comes to nearness to God, that takes time. It takes commitment. It takes showing up at church. It takes reading the scriptures. It takes prayer. It takes building relationships that encourage you in that. And instead of that, we spend all of our time investing in things that expand our wealth temporarily that expand our success. We neglect God in favor of climbing the ladder. Well, what's going to happen? We're going to lose both. You say, well, I'm not going to lose my wealth because I'm good with it. Oh, no, you will. When they put you in that box one day and lower you down on the earth, you will take nothing with you. Not a single cent, not a single dime. You will lose your wealth no matter how great it is. Even if you pass it on, one day somebody is going to squander the wealth that you pass on. Guaranteed. It just happens. The generations do this. You're going to lose wealth and success temporarily. However, if you choose nearness to God, you're going to lose what you're going to lose anyway. But you're going to gain what you can never lose. A closeness to the God of the universe. Sometimes people uh, criticize Christians. By saying, you know, I can't be a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian because Christian ideas are on the wrong side of history. Have you ever heard that? On the wrong side of history. History is making progress. We're moving beyond those old-fashioned beliefs. And if you believe those things, you're just old-fashioned. You're on the wrong side of history. Well, as a Christian, here's my response. Here's my question back. I may be on the wrong side of history, but are you on the wrong side of the future? And I think that's the question. (laughs) Because to be on the wrong side of history is one thing. That's fine and dandy because history is going to pass away and all that it contains. But to be on the wrong side of the future, God's future, the kingdom of God, the eternal city of God on this earth, that's the real question. And so I refuse to answer your question, am I on the wrong side of history? I don't think it's a relevant question. I think the question is the one you should answer. Are you on the wrong side of the future? 
That's what it means. That's the reason why it's good to be a stranger in this world when you're a friend with God. It means you shine in the world. It means you show the world what the coming kingdom is supposed to look like and supposed to be like. What an amazing calling that is. Elijah carried out that calling and we can too today. Now lastly, thirdly, how is it possible to do this? Because as we see with Elijah, and we even see it with Jesus, it's exhausting to be a stranger in the world. I mean, even Jesus ended his life exhausted. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, he was sweating great, like great, great drops of blood. He, he was agonizing over what he was about to face. You remember that? I mean, Jesus was at the point of breaking just like Elijah here. Oh, I'm sorrowful unto death, Jesus said. Elijah says, kill me now, God. <laughs> to be a stranger in the world is not an easy thing, and I don't pretend to say that it is. It's going to cost us. It's going to make us hurt. It's going to make us feel a lot of pain. But look what God does to Elijah. He comes to him, and he reassures his wavering son. He reassures his wavering son. He gives him strength. He gives him perspective. But he also gives him this amazing reassurance. And I want you to know today that that's exactly how God today in our lives reassures his wavering sons and daughters. He comes and brings the same assurance. Look at what it says uh, in actually uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you'll look at that, we read it earlier. It's printed in the bulletin. I want to read just a couple of phrases from that chapter. Uh, he says, uh, first of all, in verse 11, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Elijah had run all the way back to the desert. He was going backwards, right? He was going the, the, the opposite way that God had led Israel by grace. He was going the opposite direction. And yet there in the middle of the desert, what did he find? The presence of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That's a reassuring thing to Elijah. I am still here. You can go nowhere to flee from my presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then look down at verse uh, 15 and following. He says, go back the way you came. Okay, get out of the cave, Elijah. It's okay to be in the cave sometimes, but you can't stay in the cave. You got work to do. You're supposed to be a stranger in this world that's lighting up this world. And you can't light it up in a cave. Get out of the cave and go back the way you came. Then in verse 18, because I have reserved... I've kept 7,000 people in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, name of a false god, and whose mouths have not kissed Baal. Do you see the two streams of reassurance that God gives to Elijah? Elijah, I'm with you. You can keep going as a stranger in the world because I'm with you. I'm with you. But secondly, you can keep going as a stranger in the world because even though you think you're alone, you're the last one left, you're not. I am preserving people for myself. God says 7,000. Elijah, remember what he thought. I'm the only one left, he said. He said it twice. I'm the only one left, God. There ain't nobody who loves you in this whole country. <laughs> I'm the last one and they're trying to kill me. And God says, no. Do you think I've not been working? And if I've been working, what is it that I'm always doing in this world? Am I not always gathering people to myself? You can bet your bottom dollar God is doing that all the time. We can get real pessimistic about our times, but I don't think we should be. God's working today. 
God's gathering people to himself. He always has a church on this earth that truly believes in him and truly worships him and serves him. Always. He's never without a people. Same with Elijah, same with us. And Elijah's supposed to recognize, even though 7,000 may seem small because, you know, Israel probably had a few million. And so Israel had been whittled down to a very tiny remnant. Even still, to know that he was with 7,000 others who also believed would have been a great encouragement for him to march right back to the promised land and anoint all these people that God tells him to anoint to prepare for the future. Right? Same thing with us. God comes to us and he gives us the reassuring double word. I'm with you and you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Past, present, and even future. People that are also called by grace, people that are also changed by grace, that you can lean on and rely on and look to for an example and follow, all that. Isn't it true? We're, we're always searching for a reassuring word. Isn't that right? Uh, I think that's really the power behind social media. Uh, at least as I see it, and I've been on there for a good while now, you know, most of my adult, all of my adult life. And we chase likes. And that little like, uh, why do we like it when people like it? <laughs> why? Because it's just a tiny little reassuring word. Somebody's watching me. Somebody saw what I did. Somebody cares. Somebody likes what I've put out. Somebody thinks I'm pretty. Somebody thinks I'm handsome. Somebody thinks whatever. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Well, if that works, even just with someone clicking a thumbs up, which when you think about it, it's kind of, I mean, when it comes to a, a reassuring word, it's kind of on the bottom rung of when you're ranking reassuring words. But yet, we still get excited about this. If we get excited about this, why are we not? excited about our father in heaven saying to us i'll never leave you or forsake you that's better than a thumbs up by far why are we not reassured as we look at the family photo album and remember all the people who went before us who were strangers just like us we look around the room this morning and we see people who also are believing in jesus and following him in every part of their life we, we look at our whole city and we see the other christians that are in mulberry we we see the other Christians in Polk County and in our nation. We know that God's at work gathering his people. The question is, are you committed to keeping company with them? That's the question. And are you committed to doing what Hebrew says, fixing your eyes on Jesus? If you don't keep company with the people that God has placed in your life, you're not going to last as a stranger in the world. You're going to go into the cave and you're going to die there. You're going to end your life in isolation. Come out of isolation, God says. Go back the way you came. Get back with my people. Join together and encourage your heart. Also, fix your eyes on Jesus while you're at it. Uh, look at the other people around you, but don't fix your eyes on them. Don't fix your eyes on the pastor or some other person or some great hero of the faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the one who gives us life. We were bought with his blood by faith. Isn't that right? Bought with his blood to belong to him. We were called by the gentle whisper of his Holy Spirit to, be, to belong to God. We were sealed to obey him by that same Holy Spirit. We have been brought by Jesus into the presence of God forever. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's one reason why as we're ending this series, we're going to start a new one next week. The whole summer, we're just going to focus on Jesus. Now you say we talk about Jesus every week. 
I mean it's going to be even more focus on Jesus. If you can believe it's possible for me to talk about Jesus more, I'm going to talk about Jesus more this summer. Because we're going to look at Hebrews chapters 1 through 10, where he's not talking about any person in the faith. He's just talking about Jesus, 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 Jesus. We're going to spend the summer fixing our eyes on him. Won't you come? I know you're going to be on vacation, but won't you come? Uh, We're going to have kids ministry starting a couple weeks. Won't you come? Put your kids in class. Help them to fix their eyes on Jesus and surround themselves with the great cloud of witnesses. If you're going to be a stranger in the world, you, you have to have that. It's required. If it was required for Elijah, my goodness, it's required for me. Let's pray.